What's up, podcast crew, and welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Today's episode is a special episode. I'm so pumped for you to hear it. It's an interview with Jim Mann from Thrasio. Now, in case you have been living under an Amazon-sized rock for the last couple of years, Thrasio are one of the fastest-growing Amazon aggregators in the space. They have raised billions of dollars worth of funding, are buying up hundreds of Amazon FBA brands, and I reached out to them to have a chat inside our recent FBA Freedom Challenge. The FBA Freedom Challenge was a five-day challenge that I partnered with John Elder to put on. It was a live training event, and part of it was we wanted to interview both successful sellers and also guests in the event to be able to unpack what it looks like to build a seven-figure brand in three years or less. That's the goal that we're trying to help people, the journey that we're trying to help people on inside of Brand Builder University and have those discussions too on the Brand Builder Show. And so it was honestly such an insightful conversation with Jim. We talked about things like how to increase the multiple of a, a future exit. He talked about what Thrasio specifically are looking for, which may surprise you. Things like they do not care one bit about skew diversification. They love brands that have a high concentration of revenue through a small amount of skews. And there's a whole bunch of other criteria in there that he does get into. He talks about how they will look towards the future of potentially seeing 10x multiples. In fact, we talked about an actual deal that has happened for a 21x multiple in the last year. So, you know, some crazy numbers in there, super insightful stuff. And I just love Jim. Like, he's so down to earth. He has a crazy story of Amazon FBA himself. So many gold nuggets in this. So sit back, grab a brew, grab a drink, and uh, enjoy this episode with Jim Mann from Thrasio. All right. Welcome, welcome, everyone that's watching. Welcome to this amazing session we're going to have with Thrasio. Uh, it's going to be an awesome session. Welcome to everybody that's watching on replay, which will be everyone right now, because don't expect anyone to get on live this quickly. But welcome. If you're watching on the replay, put a little hashtag replay in the comments so you know you're catching up. Great to have you with us, no matter when you're watching this around the world. Uh, but we are honored and privileged to have Jim from Thrasio with us. Jim, welcome along. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, no, it's good to see you too. Uh, I, I'm particularly excited, but I know our whole community is pumped about this session. It's kind of like the thing that everyone's been talking about all week, you know, looking forward to uh, these industry giants coming in and telling us what to do. And so uh, we're really looking forward to, to what you're going to share. We'll um, definitely open up as well for questions and comments. I know that people in the group are going to be leaving their questions as we chat through. So I'll try and feed back to, um, to use some of those comments and some of that feedback and questions as we go along and try and make it nice and interactive uh, but we're super interested to, to learn from you today uh, but before we do that just why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and, uh, and what you do at Thrasio. Yeah Ben hi thanks um, well I am director of acquisitions at Thrasio um, so I lead up um, I'm sort of on the front end of the deals we do uh, mainly in UK and Europe but working in the US as well. Um, before joining Thrasio I was actually an FBA seller myself in 2013 full time. So um, as many of my friends are amused, they sort of see me as going over to the dark side, you know, I've gone from the seller to acquirer. Um, but, you know, it's good. It gives me a pretty unique perspective. I, I sort of, I, I bootstrapped a business 2013, built it up to multi seven figures. Um, 
And now that's really helping me a have a sort of proper conversation with sellers, you know, seller to seller. Um, I think also it just helps, um, you know, from Thrasso's perspective to have someone that comes from that world as well. So yeah. it's nice for me. I'm still in the ecosystem, sort of different job, same world, same people. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I'm up to now. So do you kind of assess when deals come on the table, you assess whether they're good for Thrasio or not? Is that kind of the, the gist of it? Yeah, we, you know, some, some stuff comes to us, you know, we're, we're a fortunate position, you know, if, if people are thinking about selling an FBA business, they've probably heard of Thrasio. So, you know, a lot of people come and knock on the door, um, but we still invest a lot in marketing um, and increasingly we're trying to put content out to help people build their businesses rather than just be seen as these vultures that hang around yeah. <laughs> feeding off the ecosystem, which no one really likes. So, um, you know, we're trying to be a bit more kind of um, altruistic in our, in our marketing, which is if most people, I think, start an FBA business with a view potentially either to, first of all, sort of independence. And when, once that box is ticked, they go, hang on, there's an exit opportunity here. And so, you know, I see our, our, our job not just to buy those businesses when they get there. We, our job is to help people accelerate the speed in which they can get to an exit. Yeah. Um, yep, so sure. that's we're investing a lot of time in that and content um, helping sellers over time now. Yeah, and I think that really shows, and I think that's why, particularly why I was, um, you know, interested to chat to you and get you on because, um, you know, it made total sense for me as I thought about it more and as we discussed things more. This makes total sense for me because the more brand builders you can help get to, you know, build real healthy. Uh, equitable brands uh, the more opportunities there are for you guys to buy brands you know you might not have the time resources to be able to build a load of stuff from scratch but uh, you can acquire these brands that everyone listening has got all of the time and energy to put into building and you know for me it's like it makes a perfect partnership right yeah absolutely i mean we're, we're really good at taking brands when they've proven themselves mm. and then uh throwing complexity and resources and money and trying to scale them to the next level mm. You know, the hard bit, the really hard bit is launching a brand and getting it to a million dollars. Mm. Um, and we're not that good. You know, we've never really done that. We, we do line extensions. We invest in sort of accelerating when they've done that, when they've, they've proven themselves as a brand. But, you know, that startup, that bootstrap bit, that sort of hustle, um, that's, you know, that's not our, our expertise. Mm, yeah no definitely so that'd be good to be good to help as many people as we can get there so you can buy their brands we, we were joking yeah. the other day that i uh you know we, we just launched a new brand uh, less than 12 months ago and hit six figures with it and i'll I kind of talk through my plan you know hundred thousand this year 300 next year then a million the year after you know hopefully relatively conservative goals and and i said you know hopefully at that point maybe we'll sell to you guys i don't know but um you'll probably be doing 10 million plus deals then only exclusively maybe i don't know but um, i don't know who knows years <laughs> a long time in this world yeah exactly <laughs> three years as a yeah an eternity um yeah so no we, we um we're, we're looking to um work with sellers who've, who've reached that point where yeah. you know some people sell either at a point when they've they've reached a number they think they, they, there's enough for them to get out yeah or they're stressed out and they don't want to do it anymore yeah. um and I, I can relate to that because i got to that point in my business and as you know my business got taken out against my will but i was also at a point where i wasn't enjoying operating anymore yeah, no, talk to us about that. Um, because yeah, you haven't always been with Thrasio. You had this brand, you, you stepped into a new role. Um, you know, as as much as you feel emotionally prepared, can you tell us the journey of, of what happened with that brand? Yeah, I mean, I um so I, I started in 2013. Um in a prior life, I worked in consulting and uh I was working with eBay's senior management team in Europe. Um, and they, they were going through a sort of a shift in leadership strategy, and we were working with them around a leadership story and, mm -hmm. uh, and engaging the organization to execute a new strategy as quickly as possible. And, you know, so I was always seeing really interesting debts from quite big companies in the work I was doing. And, and 
often the stuff sort of shakes around in the back of your head and it's completely irrelevant. But a few months after seeing this deck at eBay, a friend of mine said, oh, there's this thing called FBA, Amazon. And, and I was like, right, you've got my attention. I've just seen the strategy deck around the move away from direct consumer into marketplaces. And so we bought the course, the amazing selling machine course. It was ASM1 at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's colored by numbers. You just follow the, the steps, little video here, do this, buy some stuff, this criteria. Threw it up on Amazon about six months later because, you know, it takes a while to go through it all. And I was still working. And uh, it sold. And I was like, this is real. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I built the business up um, from that, um, you know, to you know, right up until 2020. Um, I could have probably exited before. Um I personally wanted to sell the business when I didn't need to necessarily have to work. I had enough money that I could kind of get through life. Um, and I hadn't hit that point yet. And also multiples were lower then as well. Um, and unfortunately, it was a travel brand. So, you know, fast forward to 2020, I had a multi seven figure business doing really well. COVID came along. Europe fell off a cliff, 90% drop in sales in, in about three weeks. And four weeks later, COVID hit the US and the US tanked. Um, so I had about three months of panic, I fired my team, I pulled everything out of, when I realized COVID wasn't just a kind of blip, this was around for a while, yeah. I pulled all my stock out of FBA, because obviously that was going to get expensive with long-term storage fees, mm. retail coming into Q4, um, and I was then faced with what to do next, and because I'd been around Amazon for ages, people were going, can you manage my brand, and do you want to do this, and I was like, I realized I didn't like the fight anymore, I was in my business because I, I had a goal of exiting, I didn't like waking up and getting Seller Central anymore. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, and that's when I knocked on Steph, who's the CEO at Thrasio, um, her door. And I said, look, and she was in a mastermind together. And uh, I was like, Steph, I'm, I'm kind of, you guys are a rocket ship at the moment. I don't have an MA background. I used to work in consulting. Uh, I know FBA as well as anyone else does. Um, and they were great. They were like, you know, come, come and work with us. Come and work with Ken in acquisitions. Um, and... You know, I, I'm okay with numbers. I have very good commercial common sense, but I work with some super smart analysts and they really, really hold me up on where I'm not great, which is with numbers. So um, I, I'm, a ha I'm happy chicken because I'm still in this kind of entrepreneurial e-commerce Amazon world, yeah. um, but I'm doing something very different. Yeah, yeah. And I'm learning all the time. And I love learning. For me, one of the biggest things that gets me fired up is just learning. So I'm on a whole new learning curve. And uh Yes, yeah, so that's where I am. Um, so yeah, I, I hit a bit of, you know, I had a sketchy 2020. I had to sort of really yeah. uh, keep it Crazy. together for a few months. Yeah, you know, it must have been tough to stomach. How, how did you how did you get through it? Um, do you know what? When you haven't got an option, you just have to work it out. I've got four kids and, uh, you know, I didn't, my money was in the business. All my money was in the business. You know, a, a successful and growing Amazon business yeah. sucks up a lot of cash flow. So you know, I had a lot of uh, borrowed money in there. I had like one, you know, best part of $1.3 million in inventory and warehouses around the world, and, you know, cash tied up. Um, so, you know, I, I did what I could to stand the bleeding. And then said, like, right, what am I going to do next? I've got to yeah. start generating cash flow again. So I didn't really, uh, you know, from, from COVID hitting to starting with Thrasio was probably about six months. Mm. I started up a PPC agency. I um, was looking at uh, PPE and trying to get masks in from China, as as most as so many people were. I mean, I was on hustle. I was just I was yeah. working probably harder than ever, but not generating much cash flow at the time. But you know, that's that's life. You just when when you get hit, you have to get up again. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I think um, the reason I'm keen to sort of hear from you on this is because I think a lot of our listeners would be, you know, would struggle taking action for the fear of what if. And yours is obviously like a real extreme example of what can go wrong. Um, and I don't, I'm chuckling, but obviously it's not funny at all. It's, 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 it's tragic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm obviously glad that you can be lighthearted about it, but it's it's a, a real challenging season you went through. And a lot of people will think, well, oh, they won't start a business. They won't step out because what if it goes wrong? What if I fail? You know, I'm always of the mentality that even if you do fail, the learning that you get the steel that you build in you from that experience is, is worth the experience. But like, has that changed how you feel about uh, when you're talking to new sellers, to people that are, are ready to take a step out in business? Does, does, has it changed your mindset at all in that sense? Um, look, I was really lucky because um, when I was working consulting right at the beginning, uh, we specialized in mindset. Mm. And so we used to, before, uh, we, we had the license for uh, Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And we used to teach people about mind mapping. And so I came out of uni and my my induct, my, my first week at this company was sent off to a Tony Robbins event. So I had, I had like a fire hose of mindset <laughs> training in my early 20s that yeah. um, I think probably helped me out um, through these things. And, and, you know, partly I think that that was a really good baseline. And, you know, and, and I encourage anyone to just really focus on personal development and mindset because that's the biggest driver, right, for everything. Yeah. But also, like I said, you know, I, when you've got four kids and, and like the, the money's all invested in the business and the cash flow gets turned off. You have to hustle. You've got no, there's no option. You can't just throw the towel in and say, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Um, so it's part driven by need and part, I think, hopefully, maybe some of the stuff that I absorbed in the 20s helped a bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say um, to new sellers to uh, try and avoid the situation you found yourself in? Is there, you know, how do they protect themselves from something you went through? I, like I disclaimer, I get, you know, you can't predict something like COVID, worldwide pandemic, et cetera. But, um, you know, just in terms of building a sure foundation, is there anything that you would have done differently if you were to look back and have that time? Look, I mean, like that, I mean, COVID was a lightning bolt. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of people, it was a lightning bolt that like, lit up their business in a good way. Mm -hmm. And for the odd, unlucky person, in travel it just destroyed their business most categories took off most of my mates saw kind of two three four x in on the back of covid increases yeah. um you know brandon young who you probably know i had a chat with a while ago he i knew he was in travel but he also had some brands in other categories so he you know his kind of his worked out because travel tanked for him but he, his other categories grew by two or three x and the business you know aggregate grew really nicely mm. But would I suggest to people to launch brands in different categories? Probably not, because the complexity and the stress of trying to get your head into three uh, categories and audiences and uh, the, the risk that puts on success versus the covering your, you know, hedging against like another lightning strike. Mm. Lightning doesn't strike twice that often, right? COVID was extreme and, and I was just, you know, it's like musical chairs, you know, the music stopped and there's a hundred chairs in the room. It's just my one that went. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah um i don't i think you know i would generally say to people i wouldn't worry about tomorrow because if you worry too much about tomorrow it's going to free it's going to paralyze you yeah definitely you just have to you have to back yourself you know do do your research make sensible decisions and then go all out and and if you do if something if, if something comes that's completely unexpected and unpredictable that's life but yeah. it doesn't happen to many people very often and when it does you know you'll just get up and go again mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I heard someone say recently that the, you know, the fastest route to success rather than having, you know, eggs in lots of different baskets is, is actually put all your eggs in one basket, but then just really look after that, up that basket, you know, a yeah, lot of people are scared yeah. to do that, but 
No. And it was the second time that happened to me because I got killed by 2008 crisis as well. I, I, saw, I was mortgage free on a house in London uh, and I moved to Spain and I sold the house at 2007 and bought a big plot of land, which was going to be double its value, nine month turnkey retail unit. And then 2008 hit Spain. And, and on you know, apart from maybe Greece and Ireland, there probably wasn't anywhere worse to have your money. So I got absolutely... I got run over by a bus in 2008 financially as well. Yeah. So wow. I think, you know, these things happen. And yeah. if, you, if, you, if you talk around to people who've had their own businesses, most people, or very very few people will tell you it's been easy all the way mm. through. Most people have been yeah. knocked over at least once on their journey. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can somewhat sympathise. We bought our first property in 2007, so I know the timing well. It was uh, yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, that, yeah, I, I would, I, all I can say is just don't, just back yourself and don't worry too much about what what could go wrong because yeah. that's a very paralyzing sort of self-talk yeah for sure do you do you find last question on this because i want to move on to other stuff but i think it's just really interesting how you know so much of being an entrepreneur is is resilience right you know and keep going on keep being persistent um but it must have been hard in terms of you, you mentioned like your friends you know exiting selling their businesses did you ever have to deal with bitterness that you that you struggle with no, people ask me that all the time because I've got mates that, that started after me and a couple made like massive exits last year. I mean, I've got friends that have made, you know, 15 to 50 million dollar exits in the last year, year and a half. Um, no, I don't because uh, I just don't. Now, you know, would I like to have 20 million in the bank? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, do I feel upset or resentful they've got it? No. Um, I think actually it kind of it shows possibility in a way it's kind of motivating i i know that unfortunately the bus hit me this time but you know i'm assuming it won't happen again and, and next time it could be me i don't i don't know I, I don't see any point in thinking like that um at all oh, well i hope if that ever happens to me i hope i can react in the same way hats off very impressive um let's move on then um, away from your uh, you know, the, the, the past and move into the present. And let's talk about Thrasio, m and um, Talk to us a bit about the state of play because there's lots of talk in the space, but you are working in it every single day. What is being in the Amazon aggregator industry like right now? Um, it's very exciting. It's fast moving. There's lots of cash flying around, all the stuff we hear about. Um, I think 2022 is going to be a different year. Okay. Um you know, we talked about this the other day. I mean, traffic on Amazon.com's dropped 20 to 30 percent since August. So there's been there's now a post-COVID behavioral shift in consumer behavior on Amazon and off Amazon as well. And so aggregate is about 20, 30 percent less traffic on .com. Um, and some categories will have dropped off 50, 70 percent. Wow. Others are still growing. Um, so, you know, the result of that is I think uh, well, I know that people are getting much more picky about what they buy. Um, and the aggregate, the aggregator model is very simple. You go to someone and say, can you lend me some money? They'll go, all right, have some money. <laughs> and you go, what's the, what's the conditions of the cash? Well, you've got, to make, you've got to make some money with that money, right? So basically an aggregator has to buy a brand that they can come back and report back to their, you know, their teachers or whatever and say, look, yeah. I've done my homework and we're outperforming uh, you know, the average performance in the category and the category is, is growing. So can we have some more money? And, and the whole cycle continues. So that's quite a simple idea, but it's not simple to execute when it's quite, you know, we all know what's going on at the moment. So some category, you know, there's the category movement. Yep. And then, you know, day to day is quite tough. PPC is more expensive than it's ever been. Raw materials in China are, are pretty tough at the moment. Shipping's not really getting back to where it was previously. 
and in Amazon, in the bubble of Amazon.com or, or, or in Europe, there's still price compression, which is bizarre. So there's almost like a sort of denial going on about the external forces, mm. that are put, you know, compressing margin. And it seems that people are scared to put the price up because there's so much competition. So, um, you know, aggregators have to deliver profitable growth to, normally with a minimal, uh, you know, average EBITDA. So they can go back to their investors and say, you know, please, sir, can I can have some more money. Um, and I think everyone's talking about some aggregators who came in gung ho in 2021, lots of cash deployed. It was all about deploying cash. I, you know, I, I can't speak to specific aggregators. I was involved in some deals and I, and I saw what was being offered and they weren't adjusting for COVID bumps. So, you know, extreme example, like sort of booty bands and sort of home exercise stuff that blew up in COVID. They, they were offering, they weren't adjusting the EBITDA for the COVID bump. Mm. So they will have paid massively for that 12 month trading history. And then in May last year, revenue dropped off by 50% on that category. And now suddenly they've left a business that's in decline they're paying 10 to 20% interest on the debt they've borrowed. There's no organic profit to reinvest in the brand. They go to market and say, can we borrow some more money? The markets are like, show me how you've done that. Well, we're losing money. <laughs> and, and, you know, this sort of death, it's, it's like death by a thousand cuts. I don't think anyone's going to blow up spectacularly, but if you've done 10, 20, 30 acquisitions and 20 are kind of struggling, you're a bit of a zombie because you can't borrow money. Yeah. You haven't got organic cash flow to reinvest. Um, and the fairy tale comes to an end pretty quickly. So I think, this year, uh, there's going to be a lot more focus on certain categories. I think there's going to be a, a spread of offers. So some brands will get 10x, some get 3x, whereas historically, it's gone, everyone's got 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x, and the, and the multiple's gone up kind of flat across all categories. I think the valuation is going to be more future focused on how the category is looking rather than historical performance. And I think, um, yeah, I think some people will get offered, a lot of people will get declined. That people say, look, we're not we're not a good acquirer for you. Yeah. Um, I think, and then there'll be a, a, a range of offers based on how the future outlet is perceived to be by the acquirer. So um, yeah, look, it's still a massive opportunity for people to exit. Um, and I still believe that Amazon is probably the fastest way to get yourself to earning a million pound or 250 million pound exit. Mm. Um, but I think it's going to be less rushed, it's going to be more considered and strategic yeah. than it's ever been from all the aggregators. Yeah, right. Okay, that's interesting. The um, Just quickly before we do go into it, like if anybody's listening and it's the first time they've heard this term, Amazon aggregator, can you give us like a, in a few sentences, like exactly what that actually is? Yeah, so I don't know if you, there's a guy called Richard, I can never say his surname, but he he came up with the idea, it wasn't Thrasio, and uh, created 101 Commerce. And his, his, his thesis was simple, he goes, I'll buy $101 million profitable Amazon brands and I've got one of the largest e-com and most profitable uh, uh, global uh, e-com companies uh, uh, operating. And they got to about, I think, 10, maybe a bit less acquisitions. And then the, the complexity of stacking all these accounts and PPC campaigns and purchase orders and bank accounts. And, and they kind of threw the towel in. Um, Thrasio started in, in July 2018. Similar idea. Um, and the idea is that, you know, as, as you aggregate more brands, you have more data on the algorithm or data on PPC, you have more depth and breadth of the bench and supply chain, SEO, uh, creative marketing. Mm -hmm. And the bigger the team uh, and the more data you have, hopefully the more effective decisions you make, you de-risk the decisions and you can start doing more aggressive growth tactics than you would either because of cash or because of data and knowledge than, than a sort of typical, um, you know, a small, a small team of entrepreneurs can do 
uh, operating at one to 10 million themselves. Yeah. So and yeah, it, the, the word aggregate is horrible. I mean, I, I don't like <laughs> it. And, I, and yeah. I think, um, and I think some aggregators and I think thrusters, we've kind of moved to hopefully beyond that. And, and I say, I think thrust is now the, the, the largest e-com growth engine globally, because we're not just aggregating Amazon brands, you know, we've got, we can talk about this in a minute, but you know, we're, you know, direct to consumer, yeah. we've got retail, wholesale, uh, we're operating on different channels. So, and you know, we've got, uh, you know, industrial design teams for line extension. So it, we're really integrated right up from product sourcing and design through to, um, you know, logistics, uh, the, the infrastructure in, in UK and Europe. And then of course the on-platform on D2C marketing teams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's more than just an aggregate of brands. It's a specialist uh, e-commerce growth engine. Yeah, well, that's good. And um, from like an economic point of view, the attraction obviously as well, it would be if you are a billion dollar company, the moment you add a brand to your portfolio, does it, that increases in value almost overnight, right? The business that you've just brought in? Um, it's a really good question. I'm quite, not quite sure how, sure how to answer it. So um, there's speculative valuations and multiples on Thrasio and the other aggregators. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's generally pegged against the, the equity given to the, the money coming in. So, um, you know, Silver Lake just gave Thrasio a uh, uh, billion dollars just before Christmas. Um, and that sort of estimated Thrasio's value, valuation to be between five and 10 billion. Um, no one's done an IPO yet, so no one knows what these businesses are really worth. It so the guys, the guys that are putting the money on the table are speculating mm. what this aggregate engine could be worth, the brands within it. But um, And the expectation, the hope is that because of it's more than just a bunch of sim- operators together, there's a huge amount of technology. I mean, Thrasio's tech team and data team is over 400 people now. <laughs> Um, you know that's 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 bigger. I think I think that's bigger than the biggest aggregator team. In, in you know uh, you know I think I, I don't want to name names, but you know most aggregators we have a hundred people in defence defending listings, which is bigger than most aggregators. Um, so that that does add value as soon as a brand comes into that because yeah. its chances of, of success and growth are much greater because of what's going on inside Thrasio. Yeah. So yeah, there is an instant acceleration of multiple. But it's not just because you throw this is this is the thing that's frustrating. A lot of people go, and the people people have come into this with the idea of throwing 10 brands together and flipping them mm. yeah, yeah. and selling them onto an aggregator. And no one's managed to do it. Yeah. Because there's no there's no value add and having 10 brands operating with 10 little mini CEOs and nothing tying them together and no platform. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that I think people miss is that you have to have a platform of data, technology, and capability. And then, yes, you can justify as soon as it comes into there and increase multiple. But it takes a long time to get to get that leverage. You don't get that just by throwing 10 brands together, doing 10 deals. You get that by building a value added capability. When it I think it brings us into multiples, like uh, because the in terms of I'd love to hear your thinking on it you shared some interesting thoughts about future predictions and and where that might go you mentioned a juicy number of 10x which is just like well let's talk about that Um, but from my understanding the higher the top line revenue potentially the higher the the multiple are right so you're saying a group of brands might not be worth more just because they're a group but uh, is that uh, that that top line revenue aspect that that doesn't apply in that situation um I think what people like now, um, 
there, there are lots of things driving valuation. So category, um, you know, pets is one everyone talks about. You know, 30% of people went out and bought a pet during lockdown. Mm. So now you've got a guarantee, depending on how long your pet's going to live, between 8 and 15 years, 30% of people are now treating their pets and investing in their food and their accessories and stuff. So that category is going to, it's got a premium on it because it's, it's going to keep strong. Um, the, the other thing driving valuations is pro- the level of profitability. Um, so, and the revenue concentration. So operational complexity uh, is something that most acquirers want to avoid. So a million dollars of revenue across a hundred SKUs is actually quite a lot of, you know, each SKU is a new PPC campaign. You throw Mm -hmm. that into seven languages and you've got all this complexity and supply chain are trying to keep an eye on relatively slow moving SKUs. And it's easy to, to sort of, you know, have a delay, especially now you have a delay on the water and then you're out of stock and you're creating ranking issues. So, Revenue concentration has a real premium on it at the moment. So a $1 million skew uh, is very attractive. And so that might drive a premium. So a million dollar skew in the right category uh, that's trending positively for the last two years um, has a has the you know the key characteristics to maybe go direct to consumer or has already proven some you know direct to consumer metrics around average order value and cost of acquisition and repeat purchase patterns and all that kind of stuff. Those are the guys that get a premium and they can get 10x plus. But there are very few brands that, that tick all of those boxes. So, you know, you have to try and manage people's expectations. And I think, you know, fair expectation in 2022, multiples were, are at somewhere between four and six up front, um, trading 12 months. And, uh, you know, we talk about it a lot internally at the moment because we're trying to work out where the market's headed. And we think it's going like, to drop off a little bit. And we think the average will be about five. Um, but some will still get 10 and some might get for three and they'll be driven by largely those things I've just said now. Is that, is that a Thrasio specific thing or do you think that's across the board? I think you're going to see it all across the board. Um, because you know, it's a very simple, like I said earlier, it's just a really simple business model. You have to acquire brands and demonstrate that you can grow them profitably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, so to do that, you have to have a very strong integration team and you have to have a really strong brand ops team mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if you've got the best ops team if the if the m and team throw them a brand in a category and decline it's a hospital pass they're dead yeah. <laughs> um so that's that's why you know it's there again there's going to i think con- focus on certain categories yeah um focus on you know trending growth for the last year not in decline mm-hmm. The other things we'll look at are PPC. What's the average cost per click like in the category? What's the pricing yeah. trends in the category? So look, I think the other thing we're going to see is uh, less rush to go, we'll close in 30 days, you know, which is what Fresco was actually saying like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, we're actually probably going to say we won't close in 30 days because we're going to do some more diligence than we've ever done. Yeah. Um, and it means you'll get a better deal and there won't be any surprises for anyone in diligence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think people will slow down. They'll be more considered. Valuations will range depending on the outlook for that category and that brand in the future. Yeah. So there's, there'll still be really bullish like exits. Um, mm-hmm. but I think there'll also be some slightly more conservative offers to, you know, less differentiated, desirable brands. Yeah. Have, have uh, Thrasio made a 10X acquisition yet? Yeah. You have? Yeah. No. Yeah. you like to talk about it? Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I can't. Oh, uh, shame. No. And also, um, it also is partly we just... Uh, there's we just don't, we don't we don't we don't we don't publicize that stuff um and there's also the discretion of the seller a lot of sellers of course, yeah, yeah. um 
don't you know it's a bit like winning the lottery you know like people start treating you differently mm. so people know they've sold your business but um especially for friends that are not in the amazon world mm. they might think you've just made a couple hundred grand they might not realize it's 10 million in the bank and so a lot of sellers actually want to be quite discreet about it yeah that's fair we we asked all the time like by the press can we speak to a seller or you know can we have a seller on and, and you'd be surprised how few sellers want to kind of get on and do that yeah. stuff they just work their guts out for a few years they've got some money in the bank they're normally either taking some time out to spend with their family and, and do what they want to do or travel or you know they normally get a bit of an itch after about six months and they're busy yeah. trying to create a new brand yeah no that's good that's good but we can obviously safely assume they pretty much would have been similar to what you described in terms of what you're looking for those in those valuable brands yeah 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 um yeah but 10x is not uh is not common yeah, yeah. you know I know a brand that got 21x last year. What? Um, yeah. What, what yeah. were the circumstances around that? Um, it was a real, it was a strange one. Um, it, was a, it was in the pet category. Um, There's one really aggressive fund in the US that was rolling up at the time uh, a load of pet brands mm. and was paying crazy local str- strategic valuations. Um, and uh, it, it was a friend of mine who's just, you know, very good timing. Right place, right time. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask more about that, but I'm going to move on because it's uh, (laughs) good. All right. Um, No, no, it's good. It's just so interesting for me, you know, like, and I think everybody that's listening will find this stuff kind of super interesting, but also super motivating because you know that if you put the work in to build something of value, then there's going to be, you know, value at the end of it for you, right? Because that's where most brand builders are going to earn most of their money in that exit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in terms of sort of where to focus to get the best uh, valuation on the business, um, you know, the key, the key things, the filters are, are you know, trending growth, um, trying to deliver around 20% EBITDA, 15% minimum, mm-hmm. um, you know, healthy tacos, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere between seven and 15%. And I, I know some categories you can go low and some you have to burn a bit more, yep. um, but seven to 15% is a good sanity. Sound to check. Um, Good. Having your cogs at sort of 25, 30%. Mm-hmm. If you're getting up to 40% on your cogs, you're potentially structurally going to start having some pressure as PPC goes up. Mm. Um, and and then try, you know, there's another myth that, well, it's not a myth actually. When you own a business, it makes sense to de-risk by having different channels and having lots of skews. So if one skew falls over, mm. you, you're not up at night. Um and if Amazon suspends you or you get attacked and you lose your account, then well, I've still got 20% on DTC or 50% on whatever. Mm. Actually, acquirers don't like they don't like revenue spread out. They like it really concentrated and they actually like some operational simplicity. So really high revenue skews. Um, so it's a difficult one because as you come to prepare your business for sale, definitely streamline it. It'll make you much more um, attractive. Mm. But as you're growing, you also probably want to see if you can have another hero skew or two that can fire up mm. um so it's just it's really having a view where you are on your kind of progression to exiting and just deciding when's the time to launch and test versus when's the time to really trim your sale and, and optimize your revenue and profit because you'll get you know you'll get valued largely on the future prospects of the category but also on your trailing 12 months profit and if you're scaling and launching products and testing tactics all the time that tends to hammer your profitability mm. it's really interesting because there's a big debate about it i think in the space between you know a lot of people about what does add value and there, there were some uh, you know 
staunch kind of believers in the camp of no you need to diversify and people uh, that are going to buy your brand don't want to buy something that doesn't have a social media account doesn't have a website presence and then you come along and you're like none of that matters just give us revenue concentration well, it can matter so um you know what's a brand define a brand right that's another whole like um a story but you know on, on amazon I, and I, I'm a bit like a broken record on this. I think there's two kinds of product or brand. There's the um, commoditized me to SEO'd price sensitive mm-hmm. products. Yeah, that's a that's a hard fight to keep winning and increasingly dominated by the kind of low cost Chinese operators. And then you've got the brands that are differentiated either by design, like physically designed, which is quite hard to do and expensive, but or just an aesthetic thing that just gives it a premium look and feel. And then if you can add to that an audience that draw, you know, an off Amazon kind of engagement with an audience, which is easier in some categories than other, right? You can't, you're not going to create a huge following on a sort of coat hanger brand, but if it's pets or, um, you know, supplements or, you know, something to do with well-being, you can, you can leverage audiences offline quite off Amazon quite a bit. That, that does have a, a, a value on it. Yeah, that's good. Good to know. Um, Lee in the chat and the group is asking, is it better for brands to focus on expanding to different marketplaces first or uh, rather than rushing to launch multiple SKUs? SKUs on um, marketplaces. I'll give you my personal response if I was selling. Uh, yeah. It's much lower risk to drop. Uh, there's some caveats to this, but it's generally much lower risk to drop same product, new marketplace, mm-hmm. like especially now with reviews porting, yep. um, than it is to launch new SKUs from scratch with no reviews, and like I've done it, I'm sure most people listening have done it. You know, you launch a product, you think this is going to be the one. I know so much more than I used to. And you launch it and it just bombs and it yeah. happens all the time. So um, that, you know, I personally, I would always say, go, I've checked compliance and check demand and, you know, brand yeah. analytics and blah, blah, blah in, in local marketplaces. But provided the demand's there, your reviews are going to pull over and your reviews look comparable and therefore going to give you a similar kind of firepower. Yeah. Um, I, I would guess same skew new market first. Yeah. I'm glad you said quicker. that. It's so much quicker as well. Supply chain, you just go yeah. make me another 10,000 units and ship exactly. it there. Yep. It's, it's a much quicker process. Designing products, sort of specking, sourcing. You lose six months, I, I, you know, depending on what you're doing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's easily six months per product to get it ready to go. Yeah. No, I'm super glad you said that because that's what I teach and I'm going to be talking about that yeah. today and I would have had, <laughs> had to change my slides. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I talk about because uh, James Clear in Atomic Habits, he talks about the growth of agriculture and it, it talks about the law of least effort. You know, and it, um, agriculture expanded really quickly across an east-west plane because of climate and it was much easier to do. And that's how humans are wired. And And I just figure it's, it's the same with building a business, right? You go wherever is the least amount of effort to, to grow and least amount of resistance that's going to help you help you build it up. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, and let's just on that. I mean, some people say you, you should when you sell your business, there should be some low hanging fruit because that'll make you attractive. Mm. I mean, that's true, but yeah, uh, you'll get more money if you've delivered that profit before you go to market rather than a little bit of a premium because you're like, you've, there's some low hanging fruit there. So yeah. personally trim your business for profit, go into other marketplaces, get it in a really good place with a nice 12 month trajectory and then go yeah. to market. Good. Okay. So to summarize the ideal business for someone like Thrasio, Strong revenue concentration. Yeah. Low, low, I want to say low skew count, but I suppose it doesn't necessarily have to be low skew count. Um, but no, I'm not typically what we see and we like, and it's, just, it's 80 20, right? So everyone talks about bloody 80 20, but it, you know, 
a lot of the time, sort of two or three SKUs drive 80% of the revenue if you've got yeah. 10 SKUs. And, you know, as you, as, you, as you amplify that, it's similar. So people do that a lot of the time by accident, just because some some SKUs just don't deliver what they what was expected. Mm. Yeah, good. Okay, no, good. And simple uh, logistical uh, side of it, the uh, the operational simplicity is, is key for you as well. Yeah, um, you know, on Amazon is great. Off Amazon is fantastic. But if you're doing... You know, say you're doing a million dollars and you're doing like a hundred grand on your direct consumer. Mm. That's like it's not a lot of revenue for a lot of effort to manage that Shopify store. Yeah, sure. Um, so okay, yeah, that's good. No, it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, which would potentially be different if it was like a private equity or or like a private buyer, maybe. But that's maybe another question for another day. Um, yeah, um, you know, there are different types of buyers in you know, strategic, private equity, uh, you know, family, or you've got the guys in the states with the SBA loans. Um, and you aggregators. There are different options out there as well for who you yeah. can sell to. Good. Okay. A couple more questions and then we'll um, see if there's any last ones in the group and, and let you go. I know you're busy. Um, in terms of deal structure, you mentioned about um, four to six X up front and 30 day closing time. What would be like a typical deal structure for someone right now? Um, in the UK, typically we'll do, uh, there's two two ways of selling your business. Normally through a, in the UK, it's a share purchase agreement in the US and, and other parts of the world, it's quite often an asset purchase agreement. Share purchase agreement, you're selling the limited company and all the assets inside it. A bit more complex because uh, a lot of liabilities come across with that. So diligence takes longer. So rather than sort of 30, 45 days, it's more like 70, 80, 90 days. And then the asset purchase agreement is like, you know, you're selling that, you know, the trademarks, um, the domain, the seller central account, and you, you, you itemize all the assets. That's the main difference. Um, and then once that's happened, you then go to a two-year earnout period uh, where, and, and I think most aggregators are the same, they'll offer you 50% of the uplift in profit for the two years after they bought your business. They, yeah. they throw in their team, their money, try and accelerate and scale the business profitably, mm-hmm. and they give you 50% of that uplift for two years. So if you sell to the right aggregator and your category has got genuine growth uh, potential and you've got a team behind it that know what they're doing, you know, that earnout can really be a meaningful amount of money. Do you require sellers to stay on in any capacity to see that? Not about eight times out of 10, no. Uh, bigger deals, yeah. So if it's a 20, 30, 40 million dollar business, they've typically got a team, a warehouse, and you can't, they can't just, you can't just, it's not a clinical uh, mm-hmm. transition. So, Sometimes that we'll have like a transitionary service agreement for a, for a year or 18 months while that stuff, their job is to sort of hand over and make themselves redundant over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. So let's take an example. So let's say 500,000 a year profit and you're going to sell for uh, like 2 million upfront. And then uh, if they were to grow that profit by, it's only on the uplift, right? So if they grew that profit in the next two years from 500,000 a year to a million a year, they get another 250 a year. Correct. And then the second year was the interesting one because it's pegged against the EBITDA at close. So provided you're growing every year mm. and it goes 500 to a million, then the second year you get the difference and it's 500K. So it'd be 250 and 500 mm. in that scenario. Yeah, so almost another 50% then. Correct. Yeah, yeah this right. is why earnouts can be really cool, mm. um, but you've got to go in there with your eyes wide open around what's a realistic expectation for your brand in that category, what's happening on the macro side of things. Mm-hmm. And also... Do your do your diligence on who's buying you. Yeah. How good are they as operators? Because yeah. the the, op, the the earnout's only as good as the team behind the brand. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so such a key thought. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, in terms of like a minimum for for maybe Thrasia might be different to other acquirers now, but what would be like a minimum profit level that you would entertain? 
Um, you know, we've been picky at the moment. Um, so we're looking for a minimum of a million dollars EBITDA, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite a high. Um, you know, we were a couple of years ago, we were looking at brands doing a couple of hundred EBITDA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think don't be put off by that. There are people that will be that will acquire FBA brands doing 100K a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're seeing is, you know, we're looking for bigger deals and we're getting much more picky because of all the stuff we've talked about. Yeah. And I think a lot of the other bigger aggregators are the same, but there's still, there's a hundred aggregators out there. You know, everyone's got a different strategy and a different budget. So don't be put off by the numbers I'm saying. You, you can exit probably from a hundred K a bit dar upwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and I, I don't know if, again, you'll be able to share much on this, but I just thought of asking you if you have any examples, maybe details redacted or whatever, just any inspiration you can give to the people listening in terms of brands you've acquired and maybe their journey, like case studies, examples, um, you know, that you would have maybe that would, uh, yeah, just inspire our listeners about if they're just starting out now, you know, two, three years time, what, what's the what's the opportunity out there? Yeah, um, a friend of mine, actually, I hope he doesn't kill me if he sees this, uh, uh, um, is uh, Bold Unique, is um, a shampoo brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the founder did is he's made a, 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 he's made a brand He's developed uh, hair masks for a specific audience. It's in that value premium category. So it's differentiated, it's expensive, but it's cheaper than premium brands. Um, Very passionate and loyal uh, uh, customer base. Um, Not that many SKUs, so about 15 SKUs, which for us, for D2C, is is a good number because we can start, um, uh, you know, once people buy that product, you can then start upselling and cross-selling and start creating a lifetime value. So it's got a really good D2C uh, platform. Um, formulation takes about six months. Like, I don't, you, the stuff you learn when you're doing this is great. So, you know, they, they formulate the shampoo and they have to leave it on the windowsill for like six months to see what happens, yes. just to wow. make sure it doesn't all congeal or just separate and stuff. So, wow. you know, he's done the hard yards. He's built really nice design, really nice packaging, He's built a brand rather than just an Amazon product. He's built a passionate following off uh, Amazon. Like people now posting all the time on Instagram, like unpaid for. Um, and, you know, that's that's a brand that we think we can take from being a really strong Amazon category leader to potentially being a global uh, category leader on and off Amazon. So, you know, businesses like that, um, you know, are great and they get a premium. Yeah. Good, good. And, and there's actually there's a there's a tail in there to be wary of as well actually because it is really good to sell exit right now um but there's a lot of um lofty promises made to get people to sign lois and, and this is a good example uh this guy came to market um got closed over the weekend on a crazy multiple and it's too good to say no to and then sort of i think eight weeks into diligence the aggregator, who's quite a well-known one, realised it was too complex for them and walked away, having kept him up all hour. I mean, diligence is quite gruelling. You don't want to have to do it twice. Yeah. Um, you know, and he ended up taking a lower off from us because he then realised the importance of having an acquirer who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get hot under the collar about very sexy LOIs. Um, you really need to do your diligence on who's buying you because... There's a lot of a lot of LOIs get signed and don't make it through diligence, and sellers get kind of chewed up and spat out in the process, um, and and you know they just move on to the next deal. Mm. Um, so you know, 
that that brand is a really nice thing to look at as a success story. Um, but also, you know, if you are selling your business, just go in there with your eyes wide open and make sure you're doing your diligence on your acquirer as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Great thoughts, great thoughts. Um, just to finish up then, and then I think there's a couple of questions I might just quit fire quickly at you. Yeah, what kind of advice would you give to anyone that's looking to launch a brand right now and has got a vision of an exit? What's the key focus you would say in this first year? Focus on this and this is going to set you a really good foundation. I think really um, I know your audience. I know in the past it was all about Amazon hacks. Yeah. Now I think you've got to look at Amazon as a channel with a lot with a big uh, customer base. But you've got to think about why would I buy your product? Because there aren't too many categories now that don't have a big review base. So you've got to come in with a differentiated story or product. Um, and if you can build an audience off Amazon drive traffic in, that's very powerful as well. Yeah. Um, but don't don't fall down the trap of going there's this much demand search traffic and you know the old kind of, yeah, well, yeah. you know, they're selling that much, but I can get 20% of that. And then I'm yep. quits in, you know, it's, yep. if you go in with that kind of attitude, it's going to, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, Amazon's amazing, but the people selling and doing well on Amazon now have to be really good business people. Um, it's not just a sort of hack platform anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so just, you've got to do the basics really well, right from the start as, as a business person. Yeah, great thoughts. Couldn't agree more. Really solid thoughts. Appreciate that. Um, just checking the group for questions as we finish up then. Um, Clayton says, along the 80-20 SKU count, would you advise dropping loser revenue SKUs before going to market? Um, it's up to you. If there are a lot of what, what will happen with your acquirer um, is they'll probably do that um, post-acquisition because everyone's trying to just make sure that they get the best return on every hour and every dollar spent. Yeah, And most entrepreneurs put a lot of life and a lot of sweat into launching a product and if it's not losing money they kind of just maintain it i used to do it everyone does it you know if it's not losing money well you know i'll leave it there but when you kind of when you get a bit more disciplined as an acquirer you start killing off a lot of stuff that's just like using time and not making money yeah um so short answer to question is yeah it it, it would be helpful probably to your cause it gives it, it gives a nicer perspective on the business yeah yeah to, to would be helpful to keep them in no, to, if it's if it's literally turning over and it's like you know three percent of your revenue and not generating any profit, it's not that it's not adding value to your business and it's taking time for you to work out how much inventory to order and you know it's not optimizing your time or your cash flow and that's what yeah. you should always be thinking about. Yeah. Do you um, on that similar note, if there's say Seller Central, you know you've got lots of random stuff going on there. How how important to you guys is a tidy Seller Central, tidy finances, all that kind of stuff? So essential, not so important. Finances, um, you need to have your um, P&L, accrual-based P&L uh, for the last, you know, one to three years prepared when you come to market. Yeah, That's one thing as, a, as an absolute baseline. If you come to market without a monthly basic, a monthly accrual-based P&L, um, you know, aggregators will build it for you. Uh, but you're, you're putting your trust, your, your numbers in their hands. But also, it just looks like you're not really serious about selling if you can't be able to put your PL together properly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, if someone hasn't doesn't know how to or hasn't done it, that's fine. Get someone to do it for you. Mm -hmm. um, but it just looks like if someone hasn't is running a business doing a million or plus and they haven't got proper numbers in place. It's an instant, oof, that, these guys can't be on top of their business if they haven't got this foundation sorted. Yeah. Someone says PL question mark, profit and loss. Profit and loss account. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. That's good. Good. We love helping people um, learn this stuff. It's uh, there's so much to learn, right? When you when you're launching and scaling a business, but um, I think you've 
detail for us over this last 45 minutes together the the opportunity you know this the scalability of these businesses and and the life-changing possibilities so you know i think as an industry we're growing to be more and more thankful for people like thrasio i think early on people were worried how's this going to go and i think you know from my perspective now i just look at it and think man this is um this is so great for our industry so we uh, we appreciate your input massively yeah, I mean, selling a business in 2015 was not even thinkable. Mm, yeah. Borrowing money from a bank for an Amazon business was not even thinkable. You know, you had Amazon lending yeah. and that was about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the world's moved on. Um, people do worry about aggregators. Uh, I don't think people need to. As a percentage of total revenue on, on Amazon globally, we're, we're nothing. Mm. Um, some people blame the ad- advertising costs on aggregators. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy idea. You know, the cost of advertising is going up everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, yeah. Facebook, Google, it doesn't matter. It's just the problem is since COVID shut everything down and everything's moving online, of course, all the advertising money's come online and that's affected every platform and every channel. Final question, sir. I know I'll keep keeping you on here, but crystal ball, you said about price compression, increased costs. I can't carry on forever, right? I think China is is not going to get cheaper over time, you know. Um, so I think sourcing out of China is something probably to look at. And Apple, on the back of COVID panics, have restructured their entire supply chain. So, you know, if you ever want to look for what might be in the future, Apple's not a bad place to start. Mm. Um, and then you, you know, you patch that with consumers liking a more sustainable supply chain. Um, and more local supply chain being more comparable to Asia because of the cost in Asia, it could be time to look so locally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and also, you know, if, if you're sourcing locally, you might save yourself a whole load of money on when you've got a container on the water, that's cash tied up, mm-hmm. right? So if you shorten your supply chain, you have a lot more cash flow running in the business. So you can actually grow the business quicker with less cash by having a shorter uh, cash flow cycle and supply chain. So um, China's still amazing, but I, you know, I, I think it's it's worth if you have time to start looking elsewhere. Yeah, depending on the category and what you're making, obviously. Yeah, no, that's good. It's, it's such an under-discussed topic. The um, the speed at which you can turn over your money. Um, cash flow is what makes or kills most businesses, mm. and and what we do in FBA, if you're sourcing in Asia, especially with supply chain problems now, with containers have sort of doubled the time they take to get in, and then it might take two weeks to check in once you think it's made that final hurdle. Um, you know, that it, it can, and two weeks out of inventory then has a knock-on effect on your ranking and you've got to then invest in PPC to get back up. So yeah, um, having a reliable the supply chain with shorter cash flow cycles and reliable timescales is, is massive. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Gosh, this has been so good. Clayton says, thanks. Matthias says, this was great. So thankful. Paul says, super valuable information. Would love another hour of discussion. <laughs> Me too, Paul, but this man's a busy man. He's got oh, happy. I know, I, honestly, I feel like we could talk about so many things. So happy to have yeah. another chat another time. No, definitely. But I think we've got you um, got you lined up for some uh, more stuff in the future. So there will be hopefully more, more stuff coming. And uh, yeah, no, that's really good. We really appreciate your time, Jim. Uh, we uh, appreciate you taking time out and like all of the comments are saying it's been super, super valuable. Where can people find out more about Therasio if they're interested? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Jim Mann with two N's uh, or jim.man at thras.io um, or uh, on, on the website thrasio.com or thrasio.co.uk. There'll be a form there you can fill in. Brilliant. 
Good stuff. Well, what an episode that was. I honestly love this conversation with Jim so much, and I'm glad you guys have got to experience it as well. Like I say, it was recorded live inside of our challenge, so a bit of live interaction there, which hopefully uh, you know came across well in the audio. But regardless, there would have been so much value in there for you. So if you did enjoy it, please do like the video, uh, leave a review for the podcast. We'd love all that kind of stuff. And doing that, subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review for the podcast really does help us to continue to get high caliber guests like this on and as discussed in the show there we did announce inside of the fba freedom challenge that we are launching the brand builder summit the inaugural brand builder summit is this year in april april 6th the 7th jim is going to be speaking so do make sure that you sign up for early bird information uh, we're going to run that event as a free event but we will have like a vip package that you can get some more access to the speakers as well so definitely check that out on uh, the the link will be in the description below for the early access stuff to that and we will look forward to seeing you in the next episode real soon